0: Well, I appreciate you all having me back here again. It's been a while. I don't know how long. I didn't check my uh, Excel file or my preaching schedule. Uh, but uh, it is a joy to be here. You've, you've all been very kind to me. I heard uh, Glenn Connect's name mentioned earlier. Glenn uh, officiated at my wedding uh, almost 42 years ago. And um, uh, in November of 2022, uh, my mother-in-law and Betty Jane were in the hospital, and neither one of them got a good prognosis. In fact, Betty Jane got a worst, uh, 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 one was that was worse, and uh, I got to visit with Glenn afterwards. I went to see him afterwards, and basically they said, well, she can die here or she can die at home. Uh, not a great bedside manner, not very kind, and, uh, and yet the Lord was pleased to restore Betty Jane. When I went there, she was, she was there, and it was up and about, and uh, uh, it, it, was, it was a great joy. I had about two hours with Glenn, and uh, it was a very sweet time, a very sweet time. And uh, up until yesterday, both my mother-in-law and Betty Jane uh, were with us, and yet yesterday the Lord was pleased to take my mother-in-law home. Uh, for the last year, uh, my wife and I have lived up with my sister-in-law, in Howard County, uh, in, in light of, uh, first Timothy five, four, uh, my wife and I were both retired and it just seemed like the right thing to do according to God's word. So, uh, we went up there and, uh, uh, night shifts were between my sister-in-law and her and my wife. And, uh, uh, I'm so glad we did it. You know, life got very simple, but life is really simple. It's love the Lord, love his people, uh, and wait for his return. And, uh, so yesterday was her homecoming. We were all around her bedside. And uh, when she had breathed her last, uh, we prayed, and then we sang the doxology. And for the, first, for, the, for the first time in her life, she saw things as clearly as she ever has. You know, to see, she was 101. <laughs> she barely, she outlived her sister, who also made it to 101, and who also died on February 17th, four years ago, which was amazing. The Lord was so kind, all these providential things, and yet, in the light of the word, it's like as soon as she was taken, she was in paradise, and she saw Christ, and it was the clearest moment of her existence. Uh, So we're still mourning. I know we don't mourn like those who have no hope, but uh, you just never know when things come up, you know. But uh, we rejoice in the Lord's kindness to her. She was a dear woman. I, you know, I love my mother-in-law. And uh, so we've got a lot of things that happening this week. We're heading to Kentucky. Well, my wife and her sister are heading ke- to Kentucky tomorrow to uh, prepare arrangements down there. She'll be buried in Kentucky. She's from Kentucky. Uh, she was one of ten children. And uh, and then we'll have something up here. But uh, anyhow, that's, uh, that's where you find me today. Uh, but... Uh, for the believer, it just, it's, like, it's just like Jesus said. It's just like the Word said. You, know. uh, you die once, and there will be a judgment. But for the believers, they, you, the moment you leave this world, you're with him in paradise forever, waiting for your, your resurrected body. So uh, instead of discouraging or being downcast, it, it almost enlivens you. Uh, it's just like the Word says. There's no, there's no discrepancy between the Word of God and the reality that we have in this world. So with that, let me pray for our time. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the Lord's Day. And every Lord's Day, we stop and we are reminded that wherever we are today is not what's going to last forever. We also know that we are waiting for your Son's return when he will call his own to be with him forever. In that pure, wonderful, glorious kingdom with no tears, no sorrow. And so, Father, we ask that you would do what I cannot do, that is, you would subdue us by the Holy Spirit unto obedience to your Son, Jesus Christ, for his glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please turn with me to God's word, to uh, John's epistle, first epistle, 1 John 1. And uh, I think it's a mistake in the bulletin. It's on me. It's not on uh, anybody from here, but I'm going to read until verse 2-2. And, um, and it'll make sense as we go along here. So, 1 John 1, and we'll read. I'll read until uh, chapter two, two, 2 That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, that the life was made manifest and we have seen it, and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of God. John Calvin, in his introduction to this uh, epistle, says... uh, uh, this epistle is completely worthy of the spirit of the disciple whom Jesus loved above all all the others that He might give him to us as a friend. It seems like the Apostle John did seem to have a great sense of His lo- of the Lord's love for him. I have uh, this is my 50th year as a Christian. I'm kind of embarrassed to say that you should be looking at a diamond with who the Lord is, but. Um, This is my 50th year as a Christian. I've spent much of my time in the book of John and John's writings. They just seem to speak to me very clearly uh, or deeply. Uh, It's not that I don't neglect the rest of the scriptures. Don't misunderstand me. But it really is a gift that this one who had spent such an intimate time with the Lord, observing him, hearing him, touching him, uh, we have this gift uh, given to us, So that, in a sense, this might be driven home to us in a a deeper way. That we would know more firmly the hope that we have is a sure (laughs) hope. It is a verified hope by God's uh, uh, verified witnesses. Um, And I I would say this in in an introduction. The the letter uh, invites us into a fellowship with the Father and the Son. Now... You know, if you've been in Christian circles for any time, you know what fellowship is. Koinonia, close association involving mutual interest and sharing, uh, association, communion, fellowship, close relationship. Uh, This was driven home to me uh, over the last couple years. I have uh, four people I've known for 50 years. Uh, One I just wished happy birthday to uh, earlier this week. Uh, He was the one to whom I said, who is Jesus Christ? I did not grow up in a Christian home, and it almost makes me weep to think I did not know who Jesus Christ was. And this dear brother was so willing to share who Jesus Christ was with me. He's one of the dear friends that I have. My wife is another one, and the other two were the two best men I had at my wedding. And I had an opportunity a couple years ago to go on a three-day road trip with one of these best men. And uh, what was so striking is how much he could... He knew me, and could anticipate me. He knew my fears. He knew my joys. He knew, you know, it it was it was it was a very comfortable place to be. It's not that we didn't sin; we're sinners, but uh, to say that to have a friend of fifty years is 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 a gift, and who can anticipate you and understand you. But what John calls us to is even something greater: that we might have fellowship with the Father and the Son, our great Creator. And so the title of this sermon is A Fellowship of Grace, and I'd I'd like for us to consider this under four points. And the first point is A Fellowship of of Reality. This is A Fellowship of Reality, which is so important to remember. Second, A Fellowship of Joy. A Fellowship of Joy. Third, A Fellowship of Light or Holiness. Of Light or Holiness. And finally, A Fellowship of Great Cost. A Fellowship of Great Cost. First, the fellowship of reality, verses 1 to 3. That which, we, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which you have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Also recently was the 52nd anniversary of uh, the most important day of my life before I came to Christ. It was February 12, 1972. Uh, I had heard that the Los Angeles Lakers were going to practice at my wife's high school, Duval High School. The uh, Washington Wizards, who before were the Washington Bullets, who before were the Baltimore Bullets, we were about to move down to the D.C. area. And that day, the, the uh, Los Angeles Lakers needed a place to practice because they were gonna be playing at Cole Fieldhouse at Maryland the next day. And I had become a very big fan of Jerry West. Jerry West, if you are a young person, you know him as the Logo. Uh, back in my, my day, he was known as Mr. Clutch. And uh, to me, it, it, this, is, this is idolatry, I'm acknowledging this. I'm not, this is before I was a Christian. Um, <laughs> And uh, I could not believe that I might have the opportunity to go meet him. And so we went to Duval High School. My dad and my brother and I went there. And uh, they were practicing in there, minus Will Chamberlain and another player. And uh, I went over to him, and I asked him for his autograph. And he very, was very kind, gave me his autograph. My dad says, hey, see if you can get your picture with him. I said, I don't know. He said, ask him. You know, ask him. So I asked him. He says, yeah, you might. We'll go outside. We'll We'll get a picture, you know. So we go outside. I, have a pic- I had a picture, five by seven on my dresser until we got married. My wife said, enough's enough. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, it, was, it, it was a picture of my brother, Jerry West, and myself. And it was the greatest day of my life to that point. Uh, sadly in darkness, but I'm just being honest. And, um, and so what I just did was I gave you an eyewitness account. You know, in God's providence, I got to meet him. He was very kind. I appreciate his kindness to me. But it was Jerry West, with all due to Mr. West. He's a basketball player, he's a human being, he's a sinner who needs Christ. But the Apostle John had a very higher calling. He was called to be an eyewitness of the Son of God, the promised Messiah, uh, God be- taking on flesh. And that was his special, divinely appointed duty. He didn't take it upon himself. I think it's so important when we look at the callings of major figures in the scripture, they didn't win a contest. They didn't win a vote. They didn't just say, hey, you know, if you work hard, you can do this. The apostles were the apostles because Christ appointed them. Moses didn't win a contest or, or win a vote to be the leader of Israel out of Egypt. And so it's so important for us to get this firmly fixed in our mind because God wants us to pay attention to his apostles as well as the rest of God's word. When we trust and, and rely upon the word of John in his gospel, the first, second, and third epistle, and in Revelation, we are giving honor to God by paying attention to his rightful spokesman. And so this is the calling that John had. We see it testified to in John 15 26 to 27 Jesus speaking to the apostles but when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will bear witness about me and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning okay so for three years he was seeing and hearing and touching Jesus at various times to be a permanent witness for the church of Christ until Christ returns again. All those works that I mentioned from the scripture is John's faithful uh, fulfilling of his calling as an apostle of Christ. So that when we hear the things that he says, it's almost like he draws us there to those moments himself so that we might imbibe them and have our faith strengthened of the surety of what we believe, not just for one time, but repeatedly. That's why, we, in, in part, we have the Lord's Day to be reminded once again of the sureness of our hope in Christ. And John was a particularly uh, privileged apostle. We don't like to use that word in our day, but there are certain privileges. And, and he, along with his brother James and Peter, we're also allowed to see things and hear things that the other apostles did not get to see or hear. One of them is the transfiguration when they went up the mountain. And, and so they, they heard the voice from heaven coming down This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And as they're coming down the, the mountain, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus puts a gag order on them. He says, I don't want you to say anything about this until the resurrection. And it's it's a very interesting thing that Jesus does. Jesus is always right and perfectly perfectly wise. But as I thought about it, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a certain situation that's hard. And you don't have your spouse to kind of work through it with or a friend. And you've got to internalize it. And I think what God was, what Jesus was doing is having them, he wants them to think about, I want you to think about what you just heard. (laughs) You know, Moses and Elijah. I want you to think about what the voice you heard coming down from heaven. And so, in a sense, it was driven even more deeply into the souls of those three men as they were church leaders for for their well-being and also for our well-being as well. But that was just one of the experiences that that John had. In his gospel, he speaks of a number of others. In chapter 5 of his gospel, he, he sees the healing of the invalid. In chapter 6, he sees the 5,000 fed. He sees Jesus walking on the water. In chapter 9, he sees the blind man healed. In chapter 11, he sees Lazarus raised from the dead. And then eventually, he sees the risen Lord himself and is one of those who partakes of the 40 days while he's here before he ascends into heaven. And so all of these things God had ordered for the Apostle John to, to be witness to, not Merely for his own sake, but our sake as well. And so just one early application: every time you go to the word and I'm particularly speaking of, the, of John's works today it is there for you to strengthen you. There are many voices in the world. The, Satan is the father of all lies, and there's many, many voices. There's many lying voices. But this is the voice that we need to hear above all other voices. It's the only voice that really matters. I'm going to say something that's a little funny, but I hope you'll understand. There was, there was a television show back, I think in the 60s, called Mr. Ed. And it was a goofy show. It was about a talking horse. And um, there's a line in the theme song that says, People yakety a streak and waste their time away, but Mr. Ed will never speak unless he has something to say. And I thought, that's really an analysis in our world. You know, I, I, I'm just been persuaded that 99.9% of all things that are said in the world probably don't need to be said. I mean, you can think of all the things that are on television and it might even be a higher percentage. But God was pleased to speak and he was pleased to act. And John was privy to these in real time for the church for all time. And so when we hear these miracles, there are miracles they speak of our Jesus. I have another friend who says, I, "You know, I, sometimes I wish God would just do a miracle," and I can understand why they, they might think that would strengthen their faith. And yet, this is what God says is best. It's just like the Lord's Supper. We might plan something else, but this is what God says. I want this. And God has infinite wisdom, and so everything He does is perfect. It's just we need to keep submitting and submitting and submitting and deeper and deeper measure as time goes on. So, what we're seeing in this first point is that this is, John is just speaking off the top of his head. He has a responsibility. He has an accountability. And so when he speaks, he is barely, he's just saying what he has seen as he fulfills his calling to Christ faithfully. And that it serves us that we might hear what Christ has done but in this point in particular to know this is not a vain hope. This is the utter reality that one day those outside of Christ will come to see in the worst way possible. So we need, we need to remember that. We need to be reminded of how true it is. We all are weak. We all need to keep being reinforced by the word of God. That's why we take up the means of grace so that we might have the truth more and more embedded in us and live by the word. And, and grow in our understanding and knowledge of Christ. So, this, this, uh, this fellowship we talk about is a reality. Not everybody has it. Only the Christian has it in truth. The unbeliever does not have this fellowship. They might be deceived into thinking they have it, but they do not have that fellowship. So, it's important to remember our, our faith is based upon eyewitness accounts that God has ordained the firmness of God himself is behind the Word of God and all the testimonies and as we think about it now in the testimony of John himself so we have a a fellowship of reality but secondly we have a a fellowship of joy in verse 4 and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete in your Bible you may have a footnote it says you know it could be your joy but I think the, the thing that's important here is that this is a fellowship of joy. There's only sorrow in the world because of the fall. It's, it, we need to think about that. There's only, there's only sorrow in the world because of the fall. There would be, you know, my wife and I would not be mourning death if there had not been a fall. And it's, it's helpful to see the big picture sometimes that, um, you, you know, we have certain things in the world that we enjoy and yet it's a groaning creation. It's not a creation that was the way it was when it was created and it's not a creation that will be when Christ returns and everything's are restored. And, and, and part of the reason there is no joy is because we're not fulfilling our ultimate purpose. That once the fall came, we could not glorify God and enjoy him forever in that fallen state. We couldn't enjoy him forever in that state. Over the course of the last couple of years, as I'm reading through the scriptures, certain verses have kind of jumped off the page. You know, in John's Gospel early on, he says that all things were made through Christ. All things were made through Christ. During in Colossians, Paul says, all things were made through him and for him. And one of the things that struck me about that is orientation. You know, orientation is a big word in our our society today, and it's, it's so distorted and so broken and, 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 and rebellious, but one of the things that has been striking about that is that I'm not autonomous, I am not an autonomous being, I'm not an autonomous person, I was never made for myself, I was made for God, that's my reference point, he is my reference point, I'm not made for myself and that my joy, my life, my existence, my purpose is all in him. And yet after the fall, nobody could fulfill that. They were all enemies of God by nature. And so sorrow comes into the world, death comes into the world, corruption comes into the world. But I think it's so important for us to remember first that our orientation is God. You know, I I still, you know, work. Have to struggle with this. It's like you get up in the morning. and say, okay, Steve, what do you want to do today, Steve? What do you want to, what do you want to eat, Steve? You know, and there's a place for that, but it's all under the lordship of Christ. God is good, and His order is good, and marriage as a gift is good, and children are blessings. And yet, our society, is, if I can say it, is so screwed up because of the fall. You know, just the. the the mutilation of the good created order, male and female, well, there's a reason, because of the fall. And so people are trying to be things they're not. There's only one God, and that's the, the Almighty God, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and not us. And as we begin, by God's grace, to submit to his ways, we say, wow, God is good. His ways are good. You know, we have this propensity to think that our ways are better, and yet God's ways are always good. And it's based in reality because we were made for him and not for ourselves. And so as we begin to fulfill the purpose for which we were made in Christ, in Christ alone, our joy should increase. Our understanding of the fellowship that we have with God should increase. I trust that the greatest joy that the son had as he ministered on the wor- in the world for those 33 years, that he had fellowship with the Father all the time. You know, it's like, Father, I know you always hear me, but I say these things for these around me. That in his heart, he was always having perfect fellowship with the Father. He was never out of sync. He was always doing the Father's will. There was a perfect synchronization of his will and the Father's will until the cross. Until the cross, not that he didn't do the Father's will on the cross. What I mean by that is there was a change. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He never sinned. And yet on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we'll we'll get to that in a moment, but I think it's important. That One of the lies of the evil one is to say, ah, living for God is not joyful. It's not joyful. It's not saying it's not, we have to, you know, there's not times where we have to repent, and those are hard times, but God's order is good, and fellowship with him is good. And we have that verse about, he will quiet you with his love, and it's, he quiets you with his love in obedience to his son. There's, a, there's a, a synchronization of our lives with the will of God, which is glorious and good and peaceful and whole, and not the one that we, we, we received down from Adam originally. And in Christ, he turns it around, and we begin to fulfill the good purpose that God has for us. So this fellowship is a, is a fellowship of reality, a fellowship, and a fellowship of joy. But third, this is the fellowship of light and holiness, verses 5 to 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Throughout the scriptures, we see these, uh, these polar opposites of light and darkness, life and death, truth and falsehood, uh, and they're, they all align under Jesus and the evil one. And, 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 and so when we're called to Christ, we're called to begin to walk in the light. There is this new uh, life that we have in us that begins to love the light. Our affections are moved for the light and begins to practice the light. Not perfectly, but with real substance. When we receive, by God's grace, the new heart the new heart is in line with the will of God. And yet it's not fully developed, just like a baby's not fully developed into adulthood. It's a process of growing. We grow in this life. There's definitive sanctification when we're made anew, as we're born again into Christ. And yet that life has to grow and to be infiltrated to all of our being. So that all of our being is brought under the lordship of Christ. You know, it's not just our actions, it's not just our words, it's not just our thoughts, but even our affections begin to be sanctified by the Spirit so that we don't love those things which are evil anymore like we used to. I said I've been a believer for 50 years. I did some stupid things as a Christian in those early years, things I'm ashamed of. But as you start to see what the will of God is and what holiness is and what pleases the Lord, you you mourn those things. You mourn them as you are brought to be more conformed to the light of Christ and his lordship. It's so important. In some circles, holiness has an odious name. Holiness is glorious. It is joyful. It is wonderful. It's our fallen nature that would make it seem otherwise. But once we come to Christ, we start to see the beauty in Christ. We start to see the beauty of God's commands. We start to love his law. We see the perfection in the law. But at the same time, we're convicted. As we confess our sins, as we hear the law read. And that's where that progressive sanctification goes on. Even as for children of God, that we we still will be convicted as God more and more and more conforms us to the image of Christ. You know, I'm not a big workshop kind of guy, but I know there's different degrees of sandpaper. And you don't start off with the finest. You start off with the rough, you know, and you get the rough edges down, and you go down to another one, to another grade, to another grade, to another grade. You know, so hopefully at at the end, you have a pretty smooth surface, something that looks really beautiful. And that's what the Holy Spirit does to us. You know, I love my wife. (laughs) I think I can testify before the Lord. I love my wife more than I ever have. I try to proactively love her more than I ever have in our 41 and a half plus years, and yet I still sin against her. And I still know that there's more to come that needs to be changed, and I need to repent of. You know, but there's a desire there. I'm sad. I'm ashamed of my sins. But there's this progress of, of wanting to grow into loving her more and to love her as Christ loved the church. <laughs> what a calling for husbands. I think about that. You know, what, what is it? He, he latches upon us as his people. And he says, I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to make you like my son. He doesn't say, you know, you've still got imperfections. You're done. But when he latches upon us by the Holy Spirit and makes us a new creature, he is purposed to make us holy. He is purposed to make us holy. And so that's why this fellowship is a fellowship of holiness. It should be a fellowship of growth where we start to walk with the Lord more and more. We know his peace. We know his joy. We love the law. We love the word of God. That's a growing process. It doesn't come overnight. And, you know, one of the things that I think is most difficult in the Christian life is patience. You know, it's humbling when you come up short. It's humbling when I have to confess my sins. And yet, it's God's good purpose because I need to be humbled. (laughs) And his ways are good, and he leads me to newness of life, to let off those other ways that I used to walk in we get a sense of what it was like before we were in Christ from Ephesians 2, 1 to 5, as Paul talks about the Ephesians' former state. And you were dead in, your, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, the power that we see day to day in the world, apart from the work of Christ and his people, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But then Paul brings in this good news. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That we all were children of the darkness, apart from the work of Christ in us. Even Abraham. You know, often people lift up Abraham and he's a glorious character in the scriptures, but even he came out of darkness into God's marvelous light. There had to be an effectual call that God would take him out of his idolatry. There's not been one sinner who has been saved who has not been taken out of darkness into God's marvelous light. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, we we hear about this calling, this work of God's spirit, where it says in question 31, what is the effectual calling? Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills. He doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ, freely offered to us in the gospel. That's our initiation. That's where things change. That's where we start having a different relationship with the Lord himself. We are children of God. It's also where we have a change in our relationship with sin. The sins that we used to want to hide in darkness, now we want to fight against them. It's a, a total change, but it keeps growing and growing where there's a more vigorous fight, a more vigorous desire to do the will of God. Or we hear similar words in Peter's epistle in 1 Peter 2, 9-10. to, uh, 2, 9 to 10, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's transformation, transformation to be like Christ. And so this is an important matter for us. This is so important. That God is in the process of making us more and more like His Son; it's a growth process. You know, if you go into a new job, you know, you start to learn the basics and hopefully you become more proficient. Well, God is at work in His people by His Spirit to make us like Christ, and we need to know that. You might feel like you're hearing the word of you hear the word of God, you hear the law of God. It's like ah, and you and you you you, you want to deny it and and shrink back. It's like wait 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 wait. I am making you like my son. I'm showing you another degree. You're my child. I'm showing you another degree of the remaining corruption that needs to be sanctified by my spirit. And so when we hear the law and we hear conviction, we acknowledge it. We confess our sins. Lord, you see this in my heart. I was harsh with my wife. Or whatever it might be that... It's, it's a sign of the work of God in us. We, you know, I think most Christians don't understand it. They are saved to be holy. It seems very simple, but we're saved to be holy. It's like when you go buy a house that's in bad shape and you're going to renovate it. You don't buy it to leave it that way. Usually you want to renovate it. You want to make it better. And the same thing, God and his people, he saves us to make us like his Son. Uh, you know, my mother-in-law just went to be with the Lord yesterday. And I've had to think about this for a year. As I've seen her health deteriorate over a year plus, really poorly over the last year, where she's disoriented. She's living in different time, uh, time frames. She's living in different places, Kentucky, Maryland, different places in Maryland. I remember at one point when we used to have her come to our house in Bowie, it just got to a place where it was just cruel to take her there. She was so disoriented. But we'd take her there, and she was so disoriented. I'm looking at her. I'm thinking, this is the effects of the fall. This is the effects of death in the world. You know, my dear mother-in-law, who was such a servant. I mean, that's, I think if anybody in the family said, what, what's one word? It would be servant. You know, and uh, even <laughs> over the last two months, she'd say, can I help? It's like, what are you going to do? You know, you know. but... Uh, but it, But yesterday, when the Lord took her, like I said, it was the brightest moment of her existence. Uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism 37 is so helpful here. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness. My mother-in-law is perfect in holiness, waiting for her resurrected body for the completion of her salvation and do immediately pass into glory, and their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves till the resurrection. That God is going to finish the work. You know, if you've ever been serious about music or athletics, you know, you have to keep working, and you fail, but you keep going, you keep going, and it's really on you. I mean, it depends how much you go, but God has promised he will finish the work for all of his people. But we need to know that he really is working, And he's not going to give up and that we need to keep persevering because he is with us in our our pursuit of holiness. So it's the fellowship of reality. Second, a fellowship of joy. Third, a fellowship of light or holiness. And finally, a fellowship of great cost. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous, He is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. In in uh, In the Christian community, over the 50 years I've been a part of it, there's this term, unconditional love, unconditional love, unconditional love. And there's a nuance to that. There is a major nuance. It is freely given to us, but it costs God in the sense that for us to be reconciled, for us to begin to have any fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, our sins had to be atoned for. There must be one who would pay for our sins because we could not pay for our sins. The one who paid for our sins had to be without spot or blemish. And we have the old, the old covenant uh, sacrificial system that points to Christ. No spot or blemish, no spot or blemish, no spot or blemish. Yet the blood of bulls and goats doesn't take away our sin. It had to be a man. And so the second person of the Trinity takes on human flesh, becomes a man, and dies on the cross. He becomes our sin bearer. And so our, our salvation comes at a great cost, a dear cost, as the Son goes to the cross on our behalf. And when he says it's finished, it's finished. He was the picture that all the Old Testament types were pointing to. He was the one that finally paid our penalty. In Hebrews 10, 4-7, it says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In bur- burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book, that the Son of God would take on human flesh to be our substitutionary sacrifice I've been meditating a lot on the cross lately and uh, uh, I don't have time to go into the pains of crucifixion Uh, but you know that there were two that were crucified on either side of Christ there was uh, two uh, insurrectionists and murderers and um, if you read all the accounts of the Gospels early on they're all reviling 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 okay and these two men, in the sense of physically, are going through the same thing as Christ is. And then we get to one of the Gospels, and it, one of the men says to the other, hey, we're getting what we deserve. You know? And then he says to Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. He says, you will be with me today in paradise. That in the midst of his crucifixion, in the... In the unbelievable pain of the crucifixion God was working in this man's heart as he had the Lamb of God right there before him taking on what he deserved (laughs) while he was being crucified, an amazing conversion, an amazing grace of God I mean what a picture to see you know, he he is being crucified himself, this man who repents and yet he sees this man who obviously, it's just like, he, he doesn't deserve this. But he saw this wonderful picture of what Christ has done for us in the cross of Christ, that he bore our sins on the cross so that we might not bear them ever again. It's an amazing thing uh, to think of you know, the agony that this man was going through. And yet the Spirit of God works in his heart He's, he's nailed to his cross as an enemy of God, as a stranger, and he dies on the cross, a child of God, to be with him forever. It is an amazing thing, an amazing thing. And so it is a, we need to always remember that, that God so loved the world that he gave his son to be our penalty. That we might be drawn to him and have deep fellowship with him. It's no small thing is the greatest gift that we can have that we can walk with God that not just in our times of worship which is a special time but throughout the week or if you were like I was at one point in Anne Arundel Medical Center in a room with all these wires hooked up I can have fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because of the work of Christ on my behalf I'll, I'll leave this as we consider this fellowship with these words from the Apostle Paul God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that it was your good pleasure to to give us your word by those who uh, in part saw firsthand your, your son's ministry. And that these words are to be embedded in us, to be our internal compass in the midst of a crazy world, in, a, in the midst of a world that by nature, after the fall, hates you. Whether they seem nice or not, they hate you in, the, in their hearts because they are out of fellowship with you and with your Son and with the Holy Spirit. Father, again, we ask that you would cause your Spirit to help us to think about these things, that you would make these things realities in our souls by the power of the Holy Spirit, changing our actions, our words, our thoughts, and our affections. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.